following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 90, if your Bible's in front of you. As you turn to Psalm 90, I just want to say, take a quick minute to thank Jared uh, for preaching the Word and serving us that way last week. Um, this time last week, I was away with some family, enjoying some time away. Uh, but we thank you so much for faithfully preaching the word to us. And it reminds me to be thankful also for each of you uh, who serve us and the Lord in different ways. I mean, big and small ways, some that are visible, some that are invisible. I mean, never before had I thanked the Lord for someone who drew chalk circles in our parking lot. But right now, I'm very thankful for that. It's a good thing that God has used you for these things. So I just want to remind you, I borrow Paul's words from Ephesians 1. We, we, we said this already when we preached this through, but he says that I have heard of your faith. I can go one step further and say, I know of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. And so I think it's right for us to thank God uh, for the gifts that he has given to us in one another. Let's go ahead and start out by reading Psalm 90. I'm just going to read verses 10 and 12, and then we'll pray. Uh, this is a little bit of a different sermon. As you know, we're going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, this is not necessarily a, a real formal sermon, uh, but kind of more of some pastoral thoughts on a psalm that I have been meditating on. So we'll look at these uh, few verses, and I think will be helpful for us. So let's read Psalm 90, 10 and 12, and then we'll go to prayer. Verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let's pray together. Lord, you know that we are unfit to do your work. We're weak, ignorant, unprofitable, and for all of this we are also discouraged with ourselves. In the quietness of dark moments, Lord, we know that we have nothing, nothing to offer to you. We feel the weight of our daily sin and we intimately know our desires for all the things that are not you, all of them being idols. We are incapable of cleaning ourselves up or feeding ourselves spiritually or strengthening ourselves or serving you by ourselves. So Lord, we declare to you that we need your grace. We need you to bring us faith repentance, and affections for you. Lord, we can't pull ourselves up to meet the task of enjoying you or happily living in your service. Again, we say, Lord, we need your grace. So we ask that you would increase our dependency on you. Give us humility. Give us grace. Help us to be thankful for the regular, everyday, normal means of grace that you use to grow your people. Give us grace, we pray, and open our eyes to every spiritual blessing that is ours in Jesus Christ. And may we have ears to hear your word this morning. In Jesus' holy and sufficient name we pray, amen. Like I said, we're going to take a quick break from Ephesians. We've been at it for, uh, for a while now, since the beginning of March. Instead, we're just going to talk about some things that I've been thinking through and mulling over, even my own personal times I've been reading uh, through the Psalms, um, not as a specific thing in itself, but rather for the last probably year and a half or two years, as a way to pray to God. 
Um, we've kind of talked about this before, but uh, someone gave me back in 2018 the Valley of Vision, which is a, a collection of Puritan prayers, and it's a great way to pray wonderful things and think through the right words that we need to say to God and the words that we need to mean before God. And as I was doing this, it became a good rhythm for me to use the Valley of Vision and, and use these prayers as ways to kind of set me off to pray well. But I was encouraged by some older brothers in the Lord to say, that's great and that's good, but why not use the words that God gives us to pray? The scriptures. We know that Paul gives us plenty of prayers to pray, but probably there's no concentration more important, more wonderful than what we find in the Psalms. We find these hymns, these songs, these laments, these prayers to God. They give us words that we can pray and talk to God with. And so they're a wonderful gift for us. And as I've been, as I've been working through these, uh, a few weeks ago I came across Psalm 90, very normal. I'm, I'm setting up my time and I'm, I'm praying these verses. And I came to verse 10 and it kind of struck me out of nowhere that the years of our life are maybe 70 or even by strength, 80 years. Now, back in April, I turned 36. And this is meaning then, if I'm reading this verse, that if I'm one on the weak side, on the 70 side, I'm like past the halfway mark. I, and I realized very clearly that I was now going downhill. Like I had made it to the pinnacle of my existence, apparently, of 35 years old, and now I'm on the other side. I have like 35 more years to finish this out. Now, if I'm really strong, maybe I'll make it to 80. I'm not sure. We'll see what happens. Um, but this reminds me of a friend of mine who, um, a dear friend, he's a Christian brother, and he loves this one website, and some of you maybe have heard of it before. It's called deathclock.org. That sounds real terrible, but what it is is you put in your information and how old you are and where you live and your BMI and all that stuff, and it tells you roughly how long you have to live. And so according to these wizards, um, you know, I am expected to live 83 years, one month, and seven days. It's awfully specific. Uh, and they expect that I will die on Thursday, May 12th, 2067. Um, so, I mean, you're all invited. I won't be there, but you're all invited to that if you want to come. Um, I, it doesn't give you a time of day, but, I mean, that's the date I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to pass away. Um, I, I'm not trying to take this lightly. I realize that there's some heaviness to this kind of a subject. But it is kind of interesting that when you put a date on it, like a real date in time, you realize that death is real. Many of you here today have actually experienced that from loved ones and people around you. We understand that death is a real thing. But as I started to consider this and, and think more and more about it, I realized that my life was, was a ticking clock over and over again, the day after day after day, that I was getting one step closer to being with him. Now, they're awfully optimistic to say I have 83 years. I have no idea how much time I have left. I, I, I could die tomorrow. We could die in, in four years. I, I may not even make it further than this tent. I have no idea. God is in charge of that. But to, to think about it in a very tangible way was, was very real for me. And it helped me start thinking those thoughts. And I'm sure you've had these before. Those important questions of whether you are spending your life wisely. If you are taking the time that God has given to you, the gifts that he's given to you, and if you have taken serious consideration about what to do with that time. I mean, for, for God, for my family, for my neighborhood, for my church. I mean, what kind of legacy am I going to leave here after I spend my 70 years or 36 years or 83? I don't know what he'll give me, but what is he going to ask of me? It's, it's a sobering thought, right, to consider that our life will one day be over, that we will be absent from the body and present with the Lord if we're a believer. 
So my initial thought to this was to go to verse 12. Like verse 12 says, was to number my days, to count them out, and to see how that affected me. Now, for specifics, if, if, if deathclock.org is right, I have about 17,192 days left to live. So I, I worked on that and said, okay, what do I do with that time? And that's how I, I kind of started to think about it. I mean, this is a very normal way to consider the Christian life as a pilgrimage, as a time, as a period to be spent well. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Colossians 4, 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward one outsiders, making the best use of the time. So the teaching here is not new, uh, but it seems like it matches up, like we're supposed to number our days and therefore get a heart of wisdom and make the best use of our time. So I did. I mean, again, I thought through maybe it's 70, maybe it's 80, maybe it's 83 years, and I took the time to number my days and consider things. And I really tried to get, as verse 12 says, a heart of wisdom. That's what I wanted to do. Like maybe this is the time if I would finally strike out into true wisdom. At the ripe old age of 36, I'd finally become an old soul. I'd have experience and wisdom and truth, and finally I would know what life is all about. And these kind of thoughts were a good, a good thing for me to do. And I, What it did is it kept bringing me back to understand the whole of this passage. It made me keep coming back and reading Psalm 90 over and over and over again. But as I did this, as often happens, I, I came back to the psalm to read it, and became, it became more and more difficult to understand what it was saying. Now, you see, well, we just said what it was about, right? Well, why would it be so difficult? Well, I gave you two verses, verse 10 and verse 12, but in actuality, there are 17 verses here in this psalm. And when I started reading the other 15 verses, I was finding all kinds of other stuff, like about God's wrath, or about God's, or man's secret sins or about toil and trouble, and about Moses pleading with God to have pity on his servants. The truth is, it made me wonder if I was actually understanding verses 10 and 12 properly, since all this other stuff is in play here, and that maybe I needed to go back and think through the whole psalm properly, instead of just taking verse 10 and 12 and kind of using it the way that I thought it was. So what I want to do this morning is I want to read the whole psalm for us, but I want you to think about it not like I did the first time. I want to kind of give you a leg up. I want to give you some of the work that I've done. And I'm going to give you a little bit of structure first, some direction and uh, introduction so we can quickly see that there is more to this psalm than trying to use our time wisely. That's certainly a good thing to do. That's wonderful. It's a noble uh, pursuit. But that is not the totality of this psalm. Moses is writing a prayer to God. He'll begin, if you look at those first two verses, with a praise to God, but it's not just an empty praise. He's trying to say something with it. Look how he describes him as an eternal or an everlasting God. Then he will consider mankind, us humans, those who are not everlasting, those who are not eternal. And there's this huge contrast between the eternal God and the brief puniness, a little breath of a person, and what they do in their lifetime. And it leaves us asking... Why? Why is there such a disparity between them? Why are men's years so short when God is eternal? Now, you and I might not at first ask this question. Um, at this point, we're thinking like, well, we know. All of our forefathers that we know and are close, they lived to 70, 80 years. It's not that big of a deal. It's very normal for us. 
Uh, but we need to think about the fact that the writer of Genesis 1 through 3 is the one that's writing this. This is Moses who wrote about creation. He wrote about perfect fellowship between God and man, who talked about man who walked with God in the garden and was to live eternally. Moses, the one who recounts creation of a perfect man, is this person who is writing today. Then verse 7 kind of gives us to answer that question of why, though. It's because of God's wrath. Now, that's a strange answer for us right away. We're thinking 70, 80 years versus eternity. Why? The answer that he gives us in verse 70 is actually because of God's wrath. And in verse 8, we find out what his wrath is against. It's against our sin, our iniquities. Verse 8 tells us that this anger against iniquities and secret sin of mankind is the real problem that we have. Think Adam here. Think of everybody in Adam when we sin with him and thereafter. In verses 9 and 10, we get the human condition laid out for us very simply, that the years of humans are brief and full of toil and trouble. Why? Because of the wrath of God. The plight results then in verse 11, Moses is asking the question to the reader. He's asking us, and he's saying, does anyone consider the anger of God, the wrath of God, the right way? In other words, do any of you see this problem and fear God who brings holy wrath against wicked mankind? And only then can we understand verse 12 properly. At this point, after this question has been asked, if you can see Moses pray to God to help him. He's asking God for help. He's saying, God, help me. Teach me to number my days so that I might have a heart of wisdom, that I have a wise heart. And Moses ends this psalm with five verses of pleading to God to act according to his covenant love that he has set on his people. In verses 13 through 17, we hear the one who properly fears God respond to his condition, the true human condition of a short, brief, toilsome, troublesome, suffering life. He cries out, knowing he deserves wrath, but he knows the character of God, and he responds with a cry for mercy, for God's steadfast love that is undeserved and can only be received by faith. This is a cry of faith and believing. Moses ends with a confident request for the favor of the Lord on his people. And he kind of leaves us hanging with the same prayer in our mouths as well, waiting on God in faith for him to fulfill it all based on his character. So with that structure in mind, let me go ahead and read it and watch it unfold in front of us. Psalm 90, verse 1, starts this way. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Notice that eternal, everlasting perspective. And he turns, verse 3, you return man to dust. And you say, return, O children of man. It's an interesting word there is man, Adam, dust. All things here he's showing. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it passed, or as a watch in the night. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. 
For all our days passed away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, I'm not going to go through all the different pieces of this. Maybe someday I'll come back and do a more distinct and detailed version of this sermon But I want us to go away understanding the main point that Moses is asking us. If you remember in Matthew 16 or in Luke 12, Jesus talks to people and he says, guys, you know what's coming when you look at the clouds. You know what happens when you see a red sky in the morning. You know and can read the skies and the earth and you understand what's going on. And yet he says in verse 56, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky and earth. By why, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Now, Jesus is speaking specifically of the coming of the Messiah, that they ought to know this, and the work that God is doing all around them. But the sentiment here is the same. Moses is trying to say, guys, you've got to open your eyes and be able to read what's going on around you. Do you realize that you only live 70 to 80 years? remember when he's writing, he's the one that wrote Genesis 5 about all those genealogies of people that includes Methuselah that are 900 plus years old. I mean, you guys only live 70 or 80? And then he goes back even further. He's like, he juxtaposes us, those brief, short things, compared to the eternality of God from everlasting to everlasting, from the beginning all the way back there to everlasting that way, God over all those things. And what he's doing is saying, don't you see what's happening here? There's a problem. You are brief. And your time here is full of toil and struggle and sorrow and pain. Don't you see that you were not just made to live thousands of years, but for eternity? And you live this brief brief whisper of a life. We need to see what's happening here. We need to have our eyes opened as well. We need to understand that there's some serious blindness in the human condition. We think it's totally normal for people to only live 70 or 80 years. Moses is showing us that is not normal. We should be saying things like 70, 80 years, and it's all filled with toil and trouble and suffering and fighting and injustice and sin and the coronavirus and death all around us. Why? Why is it like this? This is the understanding of the question of suffering in the world. Why does it exist? What's going on here? The the question is right for the ones who have eyes to see. They ask this question and should rightly say, why, Lord, is it like this? Moses gives us the answer. We already covered it. It is that God is angry, full of wrath against the sin of mankind those who have rebelled against his good grace and love, 
his benevolence to all man, we have rejected him. In Adam, we all died. We all rejected. We all rebelled against him. You can see it's not just Moses that he's talking about himself. In verse 3, he says this, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. He's talking about Genesis 3.19. Let me read it for you. By the sweat of your face, he's talking to Adam, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. Remember, he was made from dust. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is judgment. This is the anger of God against sin because he is holy and just and right. We denied his lordship, his kingship, his goodness out of a lustful, proud, cowardly heart. We chose to disobey this good God of creation. And Moses knows that this existence that we know, that of 70, 80, 83 years, isn't the way that it's supposed to be. He knows that sin separates us from God. He knows that the thing that stands in the way is our sin. That's why he asks us in verse 11 that important question. Verse 11 is such an important question because if you're a believer, you answer it one way. If you're an unbeliever, you will not answer it the same way. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? In other words, who looks upon your wrath and anger and understands that you ought to be deathly afraid of the most powerful, holy, righteous being in the universe? The people that ought to be most scared of God are unbelievers, for the wrath of God is against them. But the people who are actually most fearful, rightly, are Christians. When we understand the immense power of this terrifying, all-powerful, holy, and just God, this is the God who will crush sin because it is against his character. Guys, we, we've, we've got to be able to answer this question right. We have to be able to answer verse 11 saying, me, me, I understand God's wrath according to the fear of him. My response is not, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Or my response is not, well, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. My response is according to the fear of God, knowing who he is. And by God's grace, I am afraid of this all-powerful, holy, just God who has every right to crush me because of my sin and treason against him. If we see this God rightly, we will pray the prayer of verse 12. Verse 12 makes sense. God teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. This is a, a right prayer for us to pray. It isn't about continuing to see how many days I have left in my life. That's a, that's a fine thing. We can do that. That's not what he's talking about here. It's about asking God to teach us, notice the reliance on him, asking God to teach us about who God is and to teach us to number all of our days compared to his days. This is about God teaching us that our days are brief and filled with trouble and toil because of our sin against him. This then, verse 12, is actually the prayer of true wisdom. And by wisdom, I mean getting the proper perspective on life, God's perspective on life, the only one that actually matters. We can debate philosophy of life all day long. It doesn't matter if it's not real. Wisdom is understanding God's perspective about all of life. And this is the heart that we want. And notice that he doesn't say, help me to have ears that hear wisdom 
or a mouth that speaks wisdom or a mind that understands wisdom. He calls and asks God to give him a heart of wisdom at his very core. He asks that he would understand and know and believe and do and love God's way. At the very heart of his decisions, his philosophy, his desire, stands the truth that the eternal, righteous God who stands in opposition to wicked man is there judging unless, unless there's something else true about God. Moses asks that he might get this heart of wisdom Now, if we were to end here, it'd be an incredibly (laughs) depressing way to end this psalm. But Moses knows that there's something more. He realizes that there's hope. What I want to do here is read the last five verses. As God teaches Moses to number all of his days and all of our days and get a heart of wisdom, Moses responds with these believing prayers. He says this in verse 13, "'Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants.'" Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. How is it that Moses can say this? How is it that he's been been kind of like in the depths understanding the wrath of God against him, and now he's asking for pity. Now he's asking for God's favor to be upon them. Verse 14 is the key to understanding this. He says, satisfy us in the morning with what? Your steadfast love. If you know the Psalms, probably the one that you can easily memorize the most over and over again is, he says, something, something, for your steadfast love endures forever. Something, something else, for your steadfast love endures forever. The point being over and over and over again that our God is one who is greater than just wrath, but supplies great mercy and kindness and grace through his covenant that he has given to his people who will trust in him. It's the center of the response of the promises of God. The one that he made to Abraham, the ones that he made to Adam, the ones he made to Jacob and Isaac and Solomon and David and all of our patriarch, uh, excuse me, our patriarch forefathers, satisfying us with his steadfast love is a reference back to the covenant promises that he would keep. He promised to do so. It is the promise that he is the God of mercy and grace. And that although God is the God of judgment and wrath and anger, we are blown away that he doesn't end there but rather he would go to the point to forgive. Rather, he would put himself out there, that he would send Jesus Christ to the cross so that we might have his righteousness and so that Christ might take the punishment for us. Make no mistake, that's exactly what God did there. At the cross, Jesus Christ takes our pain, our judgment, our suffering. And this is us, guys. We don't don't need to be better with our time. This isn't a a lesson and a a self-help to go back and make sure you do better at your calendars and plan out your your death clock so that you know when you'll get your right stuff done. This is rather pointing us properly to the true heart of wisdom that recognizes the eternal one for all that he is, righteous and perfect and just and holy, and recognizes our short, puny existence, 70, 80 years, maybe, maybe 83 What is that compared to eternity? Nothing. 
we go through the ranks and we start to understand what Moses is asking. He's saying, why is that? And we know it's because of our sin against this God. This is the wrath of God against man. But praise be to God, there is an answer of hope. And it is in that very same God, the God of steadfast love, of mercy, of kindness, of grace, to give of himself so that we could have pity, so that we could have favor, so that we could enjoy with gladness our days because of our union with Jesus Christ. Guys, this, 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 this psalm is for believers and unbelievers. It's for the whole world needs to hear this psalm. For unbelievers that don't know Christ, open your eyes. Please, friends, understand. This is the truth. Take a look at the 70 or 80 years, and you should know that you are made for eternity. And yet here we are at 70, 80 years. It points to something very important. It points to the fact that the wrath of God is against all mankind. All mankind. Romans 5 tells us this. But we understand that he has come through in Jesus Christ with all the promises from verse 13 to 17. I'll close with this. He has relented or returned to us in fellowship. He has had pity on his servants. He has satisfied us in the morning with his steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. He has made us glad for as many days as he has afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. He has shown us in part his work and we will see it in perfection one day in Christ's return. Today, we sit here as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we experience the favor of God. Getting a heart of wisdom is not just getting smarter at how I should do my finances and being a wiser person and having more experience and coming to a place in my life where I realize that my days are numbered. That's not what's going on here. All of us, from the oldest that are here to the youngest here that can understand can understand this truth, that God is the God of eternity and that we are the people of sin. And the only way that we can ever know God's grace is through Jesus Christ himself. He is the end of this heart of wisdom that we ask for. If you have a heart of wisdom, you will love and pursue and enjoy Jesus Christ forever. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you have come through on every one of your promises. When Moses wrote this, he was waiting for you to fulfill these promises. He didn't see the day. He saw inklings of it. He saw different parts of the time where you would fulfill different shadows of promises. But Lord, he did not see Jesus come. But Lord, we have known the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man who has taken all of our sin and who has made a way so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Lord, we are in you, and because of you, we have fellowship with one another. I pray that you would teach us, teach us, Lord, to number our days properly, that over and over again, we would rightly see ourselves as you see us, and we would bow to you in need for our daily, our daily, our momently need of your steadfast covenant love with us, your people. We love you, and thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.